Praise be to God. Hey, we're welcoming you again to Galilee. We are so glad that you are here worshiping with us in this space. And for all of you that are joining us online, welcome. We are glad that you are here. I, I am so thankful for our team this morning, getting us going, getting us fired up to praise the name of Jesus and look intently upon him. That's what we're going to do this morning. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me now as we get our hearts right for these moments of opening God's word. Let's pray. God, you're so good to us. Fill us up to overflowing by your spirit. Teach us about your heart, Jesus. Teach us what it means to grasp hold of the seed of faith and to not keep it to ourselves, but to share it with the world. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for who you are in our lives. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus marched his disciples into the gates of hell. <clears throat> One day... Jesus, and we find this in Matthew 16 and 17, he goes into a region called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi, you can still go there today. It's a region today known as the Golan Heights that you've maybe heard of. He marched his disciples into this region and into this location where most good Jewish rabbis, really all good Jewish rabbis, said, you're not allowed to go if you're a good Jew. Do not go to this location because it is that wicked it is that depraved, it is that evil, don't have anything to do with it. Don't go there. Jesus marched his disciples right to that spot. Why? Well, in that location was a, again, one of the most unholy places in the world at that day and time. There was a temple there built to the false god, of course, Pan. Now, this temple was built in the time of the Greeks when Alexander the Great conquered that part of the world. And it persevered into Roman times when they continued to build. They built a palace there for one of the Caesars and had other things going on. But they continued to build these temples to these false gods. And this was a wicked place where, you know, false, uh, you know, false god worship happened. Uh, there was, as the Jewish historian Josephus tells us, some of you guys have heard of Josephus before, but Josephus, who was not a Christian, but again, a Jewish historian, tells us about this location. And, and you can, like I say, go there today. I've been there. It's, it's still, it's like a tourist attraction at this point. But there was a very, and there is a large well there in the cleft of the rock. And people in that day and age believed that the water that came up out of this, this rock, you could drop down. They would, Josephus says that they would try to get the depth of how far down this went, and they could never run enough cord down there to find the bottoms of it, or the bottom of it. So this made them believe that this was the very gates to hell, to Hades, to the underworld. And so, like I say, they had set up these, these false places of worship and a lot of really evil and depraved things happened there. Imagine like Sin City, Las Vegas on double steroids, okay? I won't get into all the details, but I'll just tell you it involves goats and it's really super gross and very just nasty. But one of the things they would do, they would sacrifice these goats and they would throw them into this well and, and they would say that if the goat sunk, it meant that, meant that their false god was pleased. So there's a lot of kind of crazy things going down there. That's maybe like the least crazy thing that was happening there, if that just tells you how bad it was, okay? So all of this is happening in this wicked and depraved location. But Jesus takes his disciples there. 
to this place where they thought this is where the underworld emanates from. And he takes them there with a powerful purpose. He is about to teach them, show them, and affirm for them who he is. And what it is going to take for them to overcome the world that they were going to have to confront. Because listen to me, church. He knew what you and I know today. That there is a battle for the souls of men happening right now. And in the same way, it was happening right then. And these disciples were going to have to be prepared for it. They were going to be battling against the forces of hell to keep people from going there. So there was work to do. And Jesus, in this very same location, right alongside where this this mountain is, where the, the temple to Pan was, there is Mount Hermon. And on Mount Hermon, which again, you could see these two locations from one another, Jesus would march his disciples up there, and he would be what's called transfigured before them. It's the transfiguration. If you haven't heard of that, it's basically that Jesus went up to the mountain, and the glory of God shone out of him and shone upon him, and God spoke from heaven and and affirmed who he was. And the disciples got to witness this. This was a moment for him to teach and tell his disciples, yep, I'm the Messiah. You, you may have thought I was. You, may have, you, you, you were wondering. You were trying to get confirmation. You followed me because you knew I was a special teacher, rabbi, that I had called you. Something was going. No, no. This is way more than that. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah that has been sent before time to come and save you. He affirms this in that very same location with the supposed gates to hell, at least the way mankind thought of it, right there in the backdrop. But he wasn't done. Because he asks his disciples, hey, who do you say I am? And you, many of you remember what Peter, the apostle, said. Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. And he says, and I'm paraphrasing, well done, Peter. Upon what you've said, upon this foundation of faith that you have in your heart, I am going to build my church. (laughs) And oh, by the way, and I don't know if he pointed at it or not, I just know that the two locations are right there. Where this happened is right where those supposed gates of hell. He says, I'm going to build my church on this faith that you professed. And oh, by the way, the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. Look at it right over there, he could have said. This is what he was teaching them. In this wicked location, in this place of pure sin and evil, he is teaching them who is going to win the day. And he wasn't done. Because at some point, he probably snapped off a, a little seed, a little pod. Whether he actually held it in his hand or not, I don't know. Scripture doesn't say, but I know for a fact that these still grow on that location today. And if he had put it in his hand, he would have broken it apart and he would have showed them a mustard seed. And in showing them that mustard seed, he said to them in that same location with those mountains around, 
I know you feel inadequate, disciples. I know you don't feel like you're enough because they had just experienced a time when they weren't enough. He said, I know you feel like you're not enough, but all it takes is faith the size of this tiniest seed that we know about, this mustard seed, to move these mountains that you can see as our backdrop. Right in that location, he's teaching them this powerful lesson about who he is and what he can do to overcome this world. All week long, God has been working out, out this message in my heart. I kind of had a direction I was going, and, you know, I had, I had great plans, I thought. But Jesus just kept saying to me over and over again this one word, just all week long, seed, seed, seed. And it just kept resonating with me. And so I just kept going back to the Bible like looking, what, looking at what God's word says about these seeds, because this sparked something in me about what God was saying. And I was reminded, I was pointed to the powerful seed of the gospel, the seed of Jesus alive in me and alive in us with power to move mountains if we will believe. And I know that many of you come here this morning with heavy weights, with heavy burdens, Many of you come this morning not feeling like you're enough, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to solve your own problems or to walk through the problems with those that are around you that are struggling. I know many of you come right now, we've got students in here that are nervous about the beginning of school. Already you're maybe wondering or thinking about how you're going to be accepted, about how you're going to navigate those hallways. I remember those those nerves. I was where you were a long time ago, but I was where you were. In that, in every minor and major incident, Jesus is with you. Jesus is enough. That seed of faith that is alive and well in you, if you will water it, it will flourish, and beautiful things are going to happen, but you've got to lean more deeply into Jesus and understand that was Jesus' message to his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. You're going to need me. You better look to me. Because this world is going to press in on you. You're not going to know how to navigate this world. You're not going to know how to handle this or handle that. So you better take seriously what it means to follow me. Now look here in John chapter 12. Verse 20. Again, if you want to read what I just summed up later in your own study, that was Matthew 16 and 17 that we were kind of jumping through there. But right now we're going to look over in John 12, and it's 20 through 26, and we're continuing what God has been continuing in my heart. I just want to point you to these powerful seed illustrations. Because I genuinely believe if we will hold tight to that simple seed of faith that is bound up in Jesus. Just give me Jesus and he will be enough. I don't know how. I don't know why. I don't understand all the details sometimes of the things that this world brings down on us. I don't know. But what I know when I am at my weakest, when I am broken, when I am poor, when I have nothing, just give me Jesus. Because he's enough. Look here, John 12, 20 through 26. 
says, now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These people then came to Philip. Philip was a disciple. Philip had come from Bethsaida of Galilee, and they were making a request of him saying, sir, we wish to see, to see Jesus. In some translations, it says, sir, we would see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and again, he's talking to these other disciples. Then Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. But Jesus answered them by saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The one who loves his life loves his life, loses it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So what just happened in that text and what does it have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, first of all, you have these Greeks that are coming and they want to know more about Jesus. They're trying to sort out again, they having many gods in their mind anyway, having many false gods. They want to examine more this Jesus and find out if these things that they've been hearing are true. So they're delving into this, trying to ask more. It's pretty clear from the text, from the the New Testament Greek, if you read it, that they are interviewing Philip. They're trying to get to the bottom of things and they want to interview Jesus. This is their goal. So that's kind of what's going on in this. We can't know exactly why they're there, but like I say, we know that they're obviously curious. But Jesus' answer to them is a pretty simple one. But it is a foundational one for disciples of Jesus Christ. You want to know about who I am? You want to know me? Jesus is saying, Jesus says to them very simply, I'm going to die. I die. This is the message. You might think, well, what, 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 how, why? Why does that make sense? I mean, what does that teach us? Jesus is sending a message with his life of what it means to truly follow him, to be a disciple, and to ultimately rely only on him. He's saying, I'm dying for all of you. I'm sacrificing myself for all of you. And if you are truly my disciple, if you truly want to know me and follow me, you will die too. You'll lay down your life. You'll die to yourself and take up who Jesus is. John chapter 12, part of what we just read, though, part of what we just read was in John chapter 12, but if you read the entirety of that chapter in the Bible, you'll see several different people groups, like these Greeks, that are trying to sort out who Jesus is to them. Guess what they're like? Man, they're like a lot like you and me, trying to sort out who Jesus is, what he means to us. What he's actually saying to us, teaching us, calling us to, and what he isn't. 
Now let's just be honest with ourselves here for a minute. We're all guilty of trying to shape Jesus sometimes in our own image. Well, of course Jesus cares what I care about what I care about. Of course Jesus' greatest value is on that which I value most. Of course the things I'm passionate about, sometimes no matter how worldly, are the things that Jesus must be valuing. In that way, we are a lot like these others that are recounted here in John's gospel, in John 12. Because you have there Judas Iscariot. Everybody knows who Judas is. Judas is in the beginning part of this chapter, Jesus goes to Mary and Martha's house. They were two uh, female disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. He goes to their home and he has Lazarus with him. If you know the story of Lazarus, you know that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they're there at Mary and Martha's house. They're having Lazarus and they're, they're eating. They're eating together. They're sharing a meal. So you have a couple of different people groups that have come around that location, but one of them, again, being the disciples, and Judas is there. And Mary anoints Jesus' feet with this very expensive perfume called nard. Very precious stuff. Expensive stuff. She takes a whole jar and pours it out on Jesus' feet. Why? Because she knows what we're talking about this morning. Just give her Jesus. That's, that's, that's what is most precious so she is blessing him. She is worshiping at his feet and anointing him with this oil. And Judas says, you shouldn't have wasted that. You should have taken that. That's expensive. We could have sold that and fed poor people. Now, we're all pro-feeding poor people. But do you see that even if Judas had been sincere, and he wasn't, but even if he had been sincere... What was most important in that moment was worshiping and looking to Jesus, not the thing which he was trying to elevate to highest value. And while he was saying, at least audibly, the thing I'm trying to elevate to highest value is feeding poor people, that sounds great, but where his heart actually was is that he, took, he kept the money back and he took a little cut of all the money that came in. So he was pretty bummed out that they didn't sell that expensive perfume so he could get a cut. That's what it was really about. So you see, even in this moment, even in this time, he's trying to reinforce his own image upon God. He's basically like, hey, Jesus is great and all, but, but we've got some practical concerns here. Doesn't Jesus care about the poor? Then we're told about the chief priests, these, these religious teachers that had gathered around to see what was up with this whole Lazarus story. And we, we hear he raised Lazarus from the dead. we got to come check this out and see what's going on. Instead of coming and seeing Lazarus alive and falling at his feet and worshiping him, which is what they should have done, yeah? Nah. You know what they did? They said... We've got some nationalistic and religious leader concerns here because this dude's about to put us out of a job. we got to find a way to kill him. That's how they responded. They went right back to their own internal desires and values 
rather than being able to worship and look purely to Jesus alone right in front of them. And I'm not done because at the conclusion of this chapter, we see that, you know, I mean, Jesus has come in, it's what's known as the triumphal entry. He enters Jerusalem, and the crowds of people are gathering around and they're worshiping Jesus. And you know, we always do this right around Easter time, of course. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're praising his name. But then, and, and you know, this is how this goes people love a strong leader right up into the point until they don't. They want that right up into the point where they no longer do anymore. And most of those that held Jesus as king on Sunday were nowhere to be found when Jesus, the Lamb of God, died for the sins of the world. So now here's what I'm teaching you in all of this. So stay with me on this. To the Greeks that had come to learn more, or at least profess that they wanted to learn more about Jesus. To Judas, to the priests, to the crowds... Jesus' final answer of what it means to actually follow him, to actually look to him, is, I die. I die. As Professor Michael Berg has said in his book, I love this, he says, it is the same answer to us who look for Jesus in all the wrong places and for all the wrong reasons. There are many, there are as many Jesuses out there as there are people. There's a Republican Jesus, a Marxist Jesus, a self-help Jesus, a life coach Jesus. Do you want a conservative Jesus? Do you want a Democrat Jesus? No problem. There are plenty of churches who will give you exactly what you're looking for. But church, listen to me now. Here's what I say, and I pray you are with me. Just give me Jesus. The pure, authentic, biblical, undefiled Jesus Christ, my Savior, my Lord, who died for me purely, simply. That is the beautiful seed of faith that has been planted in my heart. That is the gospel come alive, and it changes me, it shapes me, it makes me new every day. That's my Jesus. But you and I are guilty. We are guilty of looking for Jesus in all the wrong places because we are seeking to glorify and sometimes honor ourselves and to frequently reinforce what we already believe to be true, to validate ourselves. But the glorification of Jesus is found in the last place we would ever look. Listen now, the glorification of Jesus is found in the last place we would ever look. The cross. The cross of Christ is where we meet our Lord. A place that was once known as defiled, shameful, has now become lifted up because of the sacrifice of my Jesus. And so if we want to know what it means to seek only Christ, we seek a cross. We seek death. Yeah. A dying of myself to take up that which matters most, the cross of Christ. Because in answer to those who seek him, Jesus says, I die. 
This, my friends, if you remember what we read about back in John's gospel, you remember how he said that that grain had to fall to the ground before it could multiply? He was, of course, talking about himself. You and I are a part of that multiplication that happened because Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself. You and I are a part of that today. That kernel kernel fallen to the ground and now reproducing Christians billions fold. A single grain of wheat in itself has a germ of life. It has the capacity to become something abundantly more, but it must fall, it must die, and then it will be raised up. Jesus was teaching this powerful lesson. That's how it produces fruit. So Jesus was showing us the way. I'm going to die for you, and you're going to see great multiplication. Now, if you will die to self, you will see great multiplication. If you'll not make it about you, and you'll make it about the seed of the gospel that should be alive and thriving in your life, the good news that Jesus paid it all, all to you, all to him you owe, as the hymn says, it will change everything. I I believe that. It's changed everything about the way I live my life. And I don't get it right all the time. But I know how foundational it is. Because this Jesus, the one who is lifted up in his death, he is the Messiah. He is my all in all. He is my mighty counselor, the perfecter, the author of my faith, my savior, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. He is the one that I love and who has loved me by dying for me. And you. And he's planted a seed right there. And oh my is my Jesus an extravagant seed planter. He's extravagant in his willingness to plant seed. The Bible teaches us this. Many of you all have heard the parable of the sower. It's a story that Jesus told, and it's told back in Matthew 13. You remember earlier I had us in Matthew, but we were a few chapters post Matthew 13. So when all those things happen that we began the message with today, they've already heard the parable of the sower. You could also call that story the parable of the extravagant planter. Because that's our God. He is an extravagant planter with this seed of faith and seed of hope. Because in Jesus' story, as he tells this, remember... Remember where Jesus was telling these stories. He's teaching these stories in an agrarian society where nearly everyone planted something. So these messages, this message just would have resonated with them sometimes in ways it just can't with us. Or at least maybe not as deeply. So he's he's teaching these lessons and he's telling these stories and he's saying that this man went out to plant in his fields. He went out to cast this seed. 
as he cast the seed, and I'm paraphrasing, Jesus says, not all the seed fell onto good soil. Some of it fell into rocky ground. Some of it fell into dry ground. It didn't all land in the cultivated ground. But now seed is precious, expensive. In that day and age, it was not the easiest thing to have. And even in this day and age, if you ask any good farmer, I mean, it's one of the reasons why tractors are like a million dollars now. Some of these crazy tractors that are so like laser specific and possible to plant these perfect rows and, you know, use the minimum amount of seed to maximize production. There's a whole industry around this because the seed is precious. And in Jesus' story, you know, and back then when you planted, you cast the seed. But even in that day and age, you would have done everything you could to cast the seed into ground that had been cultivated. In, in other words, good ground. But the way Jesus tells the story, this seed planter is so extravagant with the seed, it's not all landing in cultivated ground. So here's the message that Jesus is trying to send. Jesus knew something that his disciples did not yet know. The power's not in the ground. The power's in the seed. And the sooner you and I as disciples understand that, the more likely we are to plant. The more likely we are to not be confounded, depressed, and defeated when we try to plant a seed and we feel like nothing happened and that we failed. The sooner we realize and recognize that the power is in the gospel itself to catch hold of a heart when God means it to, the sooner we will trust the gospel to do the work of the gospel, the more likely we will do it and the less likely we'll be depressed when it fails. I love, I love what Kevin Harney says in his powerful book called Reckless Faith. And he actually talks about this parable of the sower. But he talks about his own life, and just like you and me, Kevin Harney had somebody in his life who was willing to cast seed into it. So many of you all have a story right now. Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, brother, sister, somebody you worked with told you about who Jesus was. They extravagantly cast seed into your life. In Harney's book, he says somebody was willing to do that for him. But he talks about how in the way that they would have looked at him, it didn't look like he was like prepared or ready to hear that at all. And I know you've got people in your life who don't seem like they are prepared or ready to hear that at all. And so you're hesitant. You know what you're doing? You're looking at the ground. See, that looks pretty rocky. I don't know, that looks pretty dry. The power's not in the ground. The power's in the seed. And Harney talks about this and how it was planted in his own life. Listen, he says, there was nothing in my appearance or attitude, when this person first shared with him, there was nothing in my appearance or attitude that would have indicated that the soil of my heart was ready to embrace Jesus' love and grace. But they threw seed nonetheless. And by the amazing grace of God, I was ready. 
my heart opened and the seed of the gospel took root. Their reckless faith became the instrument God used to bring this wandering child to a place of repentance from sin and to friendship with Jesus. For their recklessness, I am eternally grateful. Don't you want somebody one day to be able to say the same for you? But this takes a willingness to die to ourselves, to follow the example of Christ who taught us that he died to show real power. He died to defeat the gates of Hades themselves, to save men and women from eternal damnation. Remember what we read earlier in John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So strip it all down. Simplify your life, your faith, your spiritual journey, and just say, like those Greeks that had come, I would see Jesus. We would see Jesus simply, purely, beautifully. As author and pastor Tim Keller says, Jesus is the only Savior, and he is the only Savior who, if you gain him, will satisfy you. And if you fail him, will forgive you. So just give them Jesus. To yourself, embrace Jesus. When you don't know what to say, when you don't know what to do, when you're nervous, when you're scared, when you're overcome in a situation, when you don't know what somebody needs, when the moment is awkward, when you are at a loss, when you are at the end of your rope, Just give them Jesus and embrace fully that seed of faith that it might flourish in your life. The beautiful gospel planted with power. May it bloom in your heart. May it bloom in mine because when all else fails, just give me Jesus. Will you pray with me?